Welcome back to In It Together, a podcast for white allies, season two, episode one. Season two. Our working title for this episode is Whose Lane Is It Anyway? Talking about uh, what is the the lane that white people should be staying in in terms of our anti-racist action and allyship. We'll get to that more later. We are in a new season, our second season. Tamir, why are we doing seasons? Why didn't we just do one season that went on indefinitely? Forever, yeah. Well, we did that (laughs) for about a year. Um, And what we learned is that that was really that served us well um, Mm. during that time because it let us feel into where we wanted to focus and learn from the engagements we had with our listeners. And now um, going into the season format gives us space to rest and to plan, to plan episodes, to plan other offerings um, and to reach out to guests, which is something that you can look forward to in season two that we did not have in season one. I'm excited about some of the topics we're going to be talking about this season and having an off season allowed us to be really thoughtful about what topics we want to bring to the fore. And I'm excited for us to talk about abolition. We're going to talk about ancestry, which is something I get super excited about. We're going to talk about fascism, uh, which is not something I get as excited about, but something Mm -hmm. that's necessary for us to talk about, especially in this moment. Yeah, super timely. How was your off season, Tamir? Like, what's one thing you've come back with since the off season? What are you thinking about? Um, so I'm coming back with two ahas for me. One is, and I owe this to my uh, new friend and colleague, Miyakota Taylor, um, dignity as a practice. Mm. Um, Throughout much of my life, and particularly in my anti-racist work, I have often felt this tug of war between shame and inadequacy on the one hand, Mm. and a vociferous defense of my goodness on the other to compensate for the shame (laughs) and the fear and the drag that it creates on my ability to show up. And it just never occurred to me that dignity is a skill that I could get better at Mm. and that it's not just about how I show up in the moment, but actually the decisions that I make moment to moment, simple Mm. things like how I'm sitting, what I eat, where I choose to to do something um, Mm. that make more space for my higher self to come into play and to exercise that higher level of awareness over the parts of me that are shouting to be heard in a given moment. Mm. Mm. So that's, Mm. Go ahead. Did you have a follow-up on that? No, I just I just love that. It's something we've talked about in the off-season. And every time mm-hmm. you bring it up, I'm just appreciative of that frame. I think about hope in the same way, like hope yeah. is a practice, not just like a feeling, like it's mm-hmm. something I can do things to um to skill up on and like to to evoke. It's not it doesn't have to be dependent on my mood. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah, that's what that pings for me. Yeah, that that tracks for me too, right? Being able to choose where we focus our attention between what feels impossible and what might be possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've been very much thinking about that this past few days, this past week plus as, yeah, as Israel has laid siege on Gaza. Um, 
it's, I've been really thinking about, yeah, what, what am I focusing on? Where am I showing up? How am I showing up? How am I practicing hope? Yeah. I yeah. know you're about that as well in different ways. Yeah. And, um, for those who um, don't know me, I'm Israeli-born. I was raised Orthodox Jewish until I was 14. Um, sits very close to home. I'm also, I guess you could call me a 9-11 survivor. My high school was half a mile away from the towers and was the emergency staging ground for FEMA. Um, I have family in Israel who have been impacted by the violence and who are or may be called up to participate mm -hmm. in the ground invasion. Um, it's all literally close to home. And um, what's come to me, the second insight that I mentioned earlier, is about the importance of moral clarity um, mm. in times like these, particularly around Israel-Palestine. There's this sort of moral static that a lot of people experience yeah. um, because the fear and suffering of the Jewish people and the precarity of our safety throughout the millennia is very present in our political and popular culture. Um, and unfortunately, it's interacted with things like Christian nationalism in order to prop up support for a state that, and I'm sorry for our viewers who are suffering right now, but if you look at the facts, has participated in genocide and ethnic cleansing since it was founded in 1948. Um, and if you want to hear more about that, check out our Instagram live that I posted on Sunday. Sorry for the cracks and popple, popples words. Okay. <laughs> um, the audio quality was a bit off. Fix that in the future. Um, but there has been a way that we have allowed ourselves as Jewish people to center our own suffering and fear to the point that it no longer really accounts for the rights, the human rights of Palestinians to safety and self-determination. Mm. And we framed it as an impossible choice, but it's not impossible. It's yeah. just really fucking hard. And yeah. In this moment when literally millions of Palestinians are under threat, right? That's a scale that rivals the Holocaust. That should be a concern to every Jew. Saying I'm scared is valid and not enough. Mm. And that's got to be the place we start from, right? Not the place we get to after the atrocities have been committed. And let's be clear, that's happening right now. Yep. So yeah. Moral clarity is a big one for me right now. Oh. I really appreciate that framing too. I think I've, I've been stuck in some of that static and like, it's just only been in the last couple of days that I've been able to wade my way out of it and like a little closer to some moral clarity. And that has allowed like kind of that discernment has allowed me to speak up, to start to take some action, to make choices that are in alignment with that moral clarity. But man, as someone who is not Jewish, who's a white American and not Jewish and not Muslim and has very mm -hmm. few ties to that area of the world. Like there's a lot of sifting that I've had to do through, you know, even yeah. just trying to make sure what I'm taking in isn't propaganda in terms mm -hmm. of information, like really trying, like that has contributed a lot to the static, like what, who, I mean, obviously, I have some knowledge of the situation. This is not my like first time learning mm -hmm. about this ongoing <laughs> conflict. Isn't even the right word, but like, know that you know this mm -hmm. intractable situation. Um, and so I have you know my preconceived beliefs and you know understandings of the situation, and 
I think like all of us being flooded with information now, some mm-hmm. of it not really trying to sift through. Yeah. Yeah. What's real? <laughs> what's true? What's based in fact? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I hear that. And I, I think that's important. And there's a lot of nuance in what's happening too. Um, and there is disinformation out there and it's not always easy to sift through. Yeah. Um, but it's important to look at that stuff critically, look at your sources and like, where are there organizations you trust that are citing sources that you can then go to, right? And it is important. It's really important to have sources that come from Palestine yep, or the Palestinian diaspora, at least. That's yep. very, very important because they just share things that other media won't unless they're deeply aligned with the folks who are creating that information, right? Yeah. And there are organizations like that too. So that's really important. I think the other thing, and I want to say this to um, Jews who are listening to this, um, who may be triggered by what I'm saying, that comes from a place of trauma. Your mm. trauma is legitimate. My trauma is legitimate. 80% of my father's uncles and aunts were wiped out by the Nazis, right? Mm. Like this is this is generational trauma that was passed on to me as well. Mm. Um, the only reason I'm not suiting up to go into Gaza right now is because my dad brought us here, mm. right? In part because he didn't want my brother and me to have to go through this. Right. So like this is all very alive, but that can't be the prism through which we view all information, right? And and make decisions. There's a there's a higher self in this that has to put that in in its proper place. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like <clears throat> I feel like the things that I'm coming back with since the off season, I, I think just because it's top of mind, is um how that they're I don't even know how to frame it, but the that many Americans and many white Americans um, aren't ready or aren't willing to really reckon with what it means to be an American in relationship to what's happening Mm. in Gaza. That like many of us aren't ready to really look at the imperialism of our own country and colonization of our, you know, um, and that being able to use that lens to look at what is happening in Israel with Israel and Gaza is like too much. Like it's like yeah. too close to home. And I, so I've been really sitting with that in the last day or so of like, what is, what is the reckoning that we need to do as specifically as white Americans mm-hmm. um, so that we can reckon with what is happening yeah. around the world. Um, yeah. So that's one thing is like, just that kind of re- realizing, re-remembering that like there are many of us who, who, haven't done that reckoning yeah and that impacts how we're we're seeing what is happening yeah and it's also hard like i was talking to somebody yesterday who was like i agree with what you're saying but i also really don't want to trigger my jewish friends right now yeah and that's real but also like some of us need to be called in mm. we can be held and challenged at the same time yeah right people need to be heard sure yeah. but um, we can't, we can't stop there in many ways. I'm wondering if this is a similar kind of reckoning mm. as we've had recently around anti-black racism, where a lot of people really woke up when George Floyd was murdered. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and similarly, right. Like we're going to talk about what our lanes are like mm-hmm. white people in America have a pretty big fucking lane around this and not just white people, but also like white Christians, right? Yeah. Like, um, our elected officials continue on both sides of the aisle. Let's be honest, right? Like the Biden administration 
is offering unconditional support to Israel, right? Yeah. They're behind the scenes trying to create humanitarian corridors and stuff, but they're fundamentally saying, we'll stand with you no matter what you do. Yeah. That's actually not the position I want the American government to take, right? It's like, what other country would we ever take that stance with? Yep. Like, why has there never been a UN peacekeeping mission in Palestine? Like, there are yep. reasons for this, and the United States is a part of it. And even some of our most progressive leaders um, don't necessarily say what they're thinking on this issue. And that's a problem, right? Because that's the basis on which policy is made. So yep. I actually, like, I want to ask our listeners to, like, call their representatives, call their senators, call the mayor, right? And say, like, I want you to call this shit what it is. It's genocide. Yep. Right. And we don't stand for it. Yeah. Sorry, I got on a soapbox. I love it. I love your soapbox. Oh. I'm wondering if we want to transition into our episode now or if there are kind of final thoughts that we want to share about the situation, which will be ongoing that we'll touch on in future episodes as well. I think I I just want to offer an invitation. If you're listening to this and you feel like you're struggling with this, send us an email in it together podcast at gmail.com. You know, I'm personally, I feel happy to talk with people about this. If there were enough folks, maybe we do a little something like just to hold space for people. Like we want this to be a place. Yeah. Like I'm voicing some strong opinions, but I also want people to have space to like reckon with the complexities of this. Like it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I echo that. I would love to hear how folks are, yeah, wrestling <laughs> and what you're wrestling with and yeah, where what moral clarity folks are finding or not. If we're, if we can help mm-hmm. you get unstuck from some of that static, I would love us to be able to do that. Yeah. Cool. Other than that, I feel, I feel ready to transition and maybe this is all sort of a good case study in what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Shall we move into our framing? Let's do it. Okay. So Tamir and I come to this episode believing that white people have important roles to play in dismantling white supremacy. And that's something we've said in all of our first season as well. But we wanted to get into like, what are those roles exactly? Like we can say that we have specific roles to play, but like, what do we actually mean by that? We've talked about it in the abstract. We want to get more tangible and concrete. And we want to also look at how we answer this question, like the roles that we, you know, have, how that can help us make decisions about the actions we take, we don't take as white people committed to racial justice. So Tamir, like what, what why do we want to talk about this? Like why, like, what is the thing that we're trying to talk about? Yeah, so um there have been a lot of calls made by leaders of color and everyday people of color for white folks to show up and take action against racism. Sometimes mm. those calls are clear and consistent, but not necessarily easy to act on. Sometimes mm. they're easy to act on and we're scared. Mm. And sometimes those calls are conflicting, right? Because people of color are a monolith and not all calls to action come from the same place. Not that one is more valid from the other. Mm. Um and that can be tough to to parse through. So we just want to see if we can arrive at a simple way of thinking about a handful of like buckets of things that we can generally do. And then you sort of pick which ones you're going to pull from any moment in time. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this, all of what you just said matters 
because we need all of us to address racial injustice. Like we definitely need white people to be a part of this, this fight. Mm-hmm. And from a strategic van- standpoint, we need clear inroads. We need exactly like you said, those buckets that white people can turn to and say, Oh, yep. I could like, that's a role I can take. Like that's a choice I can make. Like that's clearly within my lane. Um, and we need to be clear on how we can actually be helpful in this work. And I know that white people, but like me specifically, I need to be able to discern, to do that discernment, to like look at all the buckets available and say, this one is for me. This one's actually not for me. Right. Because sometimes we can take on roles that nobody asks us to play and it's welcomed. Like, right. Sometimes we like, you know, can find a bucket and we're like, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's like, great. That's awesome. And sometimes the response is, what the heck are you doing? Like, no one asked you to do that. So that I think kind of points back to some of the confusion and kind of conflicting messages um, that can get us turned around. And we mm-hmm. can stop up if we get too confused <laughs> or get too much conflicting kind of, you know, information. That's right. And we can also show up in ways that have a harmful impact on people of color and communities of color, right? So if we're showing up not sure if we're doing the right thing. We talked about this many times, right? Then people of color have to manage or console us when we're feeling confused or um, insecure, mm-hmm. um, or we can put ourselves in a position where we need to be sort of like supervised. That's super draining. It takes energy away from uh, other things that those leaders have to do. And when we show up in places we shouldn't, it undermines the leadership of people of color and people of color-led organizations, which can take attention and resources away from them. And if this sounds familiar, um, we discussed that in more depth in our series on money and power at the end of last season. If you haven't listened to that, definitely encourage you to go back and check it out. So where do we get tripped up? So I named one place that we get tripped up is like getting conflicting information about what we should or shouldn't be doing. Where else do we get tripped up and what can we do about it? Yeah. So if you've been if you've been listening to In It Together since the beginning, you know about self-sabotaging questions. Self-sabotaging questions are questions that have no easy answer or really no clear definitive answer. And the uncertainty around the answer prevents us from showing up, right? Um, so things like, will I ever do anything right? Is there even a role for me in this work? Right? There's there's no way to answer that question. Mm. Um, And then the opposite of that, which comes in defiance of that fear and insecurity that comes with those questions is, well, you can't please everybody. So fuck it. I'm just going to do me. Mm. Or like somebody's got to do it. Nobody's doing it. And that can lead us to not just show up in places where we shouldn't, but in ways that we shouldn't being brusque and task focused and thinking that we know better um, than people who are directly impacted by systems of oppression. Um, Mm. So we don't want either of those Yeah. And another way that I know we can get tripped up is around our own saviorism, our own white saviorism and our egos. Um, When we start to see ourselves as the main character in the plot in anti-racism work, um, we're often not used to being side players or like supporting characters. We often, as white folks, feel or we act like we know what's best about how to bring about racial justice or how to improve the lives of people of color, communities of color. Um, That's definitely a place that, yeah, I think we can get tripped up around. Absolutely. And related to that, we sometimes don't know how to assess our own importance and impact, right? If we're not the main character, are we irrelevant? 
right? Mm. That's another self-sabotaging question. There are yes. lots of big and little things that we can do that matter, but can we discern them? And let's look at the, the last conversation we had about responding to events in Israel and Palestine as an example, right? Like I'm doing things in my county, in my town, and people are saying, we really appreciate this. This matters, right? I'm not Palestinian, right? Mm. I'm not the most impacted by this. I'm certainly impacted and yeah. definitely directly impacted by the system of oppression that is global anti-Semitism that led to the creation of Israel in the first place, right? Yeah. So like the intersectionality or the hierarchy of me, right? Like the combination of being in a citizen of two settler colonial states, if you include the United States, mm. um, but then also a generational legacy of of, of genocide. Um, mm. there's, there's power in that position that's directly relevant to the conversations that are having right now. Yeah. But I want to act from an awareness of those intersections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what can we do? <laughs> what can we do to kind of get around these places we get tripped up to take action in ways that are actually in our lane? What can yeah. that look like? Yeah. So what can look like in practice? These may not actually sound all that new to our <laughs> listeners because this is Fortunately, a place where there's really not a lot of original work required. We've just yeah. come up with some buckets of things that we've heard over and over. So one of them is interrupt racism and problematic behaviors among white people, right? Mm. You don't have to be the main character in that. Maybe sometimes you are, mm. right? Really, literally just getting skilled at calling in, calling out when something is wrong and where appropriate consulting with people of color who are impacted by whatever the thing is, right? So that we're not getting up front. There's a ton of nuance in how we do that. Um, and there are people who who dive into the specifics of how to approach that. Um, mm -hmm. Supporting and amplifying the leadership of people of color and the organizations that, we, that they lead. We don't need to build new organizations that quote unquote do better than mm -hmm. organizations led by people of color. Um, yeah. And again, we talk about that more deeply in the the episodes on power. So definitely check that out because there's a lot of nuance in that. Yeah. As always, we we uh, ring the bell around moving money to organizations that are led by and serving those most impacted by racism. At the end of each of our podcast episodes, we've shared organizations led by and serving folks of color um, to move money towards. Uh, and we've got one this episode as well. We'll continue that. I know another piece on the interpersonal level is really trying to reduce the harm that we cause to people of color through our own behaviors, like interrogating our own biases, looking at where bias may, might be showing up in ourselves. Um, I, Tamir, I love that you're I'm like <laughs> reading a note you have in here. This is like, so your voice and not mine. <laughs> don't run roughshod, but also don't be a snowflake. <laughs> uh, do you want to talk? Do you want to talk about kind of what you mean by that? It kind of means like don't be a dick, right? <laughs> like, um, so when we when we show up in multiracial spaces that are doing organizing work or in conversations in our offices or whatever, our school committees, like sometimes white people show up and we just take over, right? Yeah. And we can be sanctimonious. Like we've talked about this multiple times. Yeah. Um, and that's not helpful, right? There are times when it's important to be sort of an unflinching, un immovable presence. Um, most of the time, it's not great. Um, and that's true even in spaces that are made up predominantly of white people, right? mm. Like I've seen those spaces break up because people aren't on the same page about how they're supposed to be with each other. And some people are like, if you're not, 
you know, if you're not in the work the way I'm in the work, then you're useless. Yeah. That's also running roughshod. Yeah. But not be a snowflake is what we said before, right? Like have some confidence that as a human being, like you're worthy of being in the space in whatever point in your journey you're at and you can add value. And it's just about being clear-eyed about where we can be useful. Yeah. I love that explanation of that phrase. I feel like you explained it. Yeah. You're in a really great way. Thank you. What about times when it would make sense to be kind of maybe not the main character, but like to be more out in front of an effort, kind of more, maybe the face of an effort. Like Mm -hmm. when do we feel like that would be appropriate? Yeah. So I think for one, like it's context dependent. So like if you live in a predominantly white area, like I do, um, being more out front can be useful depending on what you're doing. So like if you live in a predominantly white area and your goal is to rally other white people Mm. to disavow the trappings of privilege and seek a more equal system or equitable system, that's a place where it makes sense to be up front. That doesn't mean you have to be the sage on the stage or like, you know, have a fancy photo shoot so you can have, you know, cool pictures on your website or whatever. (laughs) Um, But it might mean that you lead an organizing effort. Um, But you might be putting together a group of people that does include some of the relatively small proportion of people of color in your area, right? And it may still make sense for them to be up front once you've done that. So you've got to ask yourself, it's like, it's it's one thing to take action. And there are times when stepping forward and speaking up or drawing attention to yourself makes sense. And there are other times where you can take leadership without necessarily putting yourself as the face of the thing in a public way. Yeah. Right? And there are rigorous questions you can ask yourself, um, Allison, about when to do that. Yeah. I was just going to say, they're like, yeah, the, we've got some more rigorous questions to get out of these self-sabotaging, kind of self-defeating questions that we referenced earlier. One question is, where and how can I show up as a supporting character? Like. Who around me, the people, organizations, communities, who's leading around justice issues? How can I support what they're doing? Like, how can I show up as like a beneficial supporting character? And that requires actually seeking out information like that. You can't just throw up your hands and be like, well, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what organizations are doing this work. Like sign up for newsletters, follow organizations on social media, Google, ask your friends and family what they know, your neighbors people in your community um, so that you can figure out where you can show up as a supporting character, where the need actually is. Yeah. And you can also ask yourself questions like, where would money be useful right now? Right? Like in this moment, um, sending money to organizations that are providing direct relief in Palestine is a great idea, right? And organizations that are organizing to, uh, to advocate and mobilize people around um, demanding a stop to genocide. Right. That's a, a useful place for money to go. And then where am I acting because I feel clear about it having a positive impact? And where might I be driven more by ego? Now, there's a self-sabotaging version of that question, which is like, how do I know I'm not just ego driven? Mm. But you can do a clear analysis, right? Like if I, for example, like I'm working on an op-ed for my local paper, uh, we'll see if it gets accepted or not. But like that's not gonna save lives in Palestine next week. But it is going to give people, offer people a language and a way of engaging with the issue that clears away some of that moral static we were talking about earlier. And that does have a, that's relevant in the long term and it's relevant in mobilizing people right now. Right? Mm. Um, and I think there's something about something being on the record. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Yeah. And just to build off of the assessment, kind of like self-assessment you just named, like we need to practice assessing our importance and our impact, like asking ourselves questions. Like if we're in a specific situation, how do I view myself in the cast of characters in this situation? Am I actually the main character? Am I a supporting character? How can I show up as an impactful supporting character? Like what impact am I having on showing? Uh, am I having by showing up in the ways that I'm showing up? I feel like that's can be a really good rigorous question, like assessing for impact. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, there I think there are a lot of questions we can ask ourselves, and these are good good ones to start with. And I think it's it's important not to sort of go too far to the other extreme and be like, "Am I going to make a difference at all?" I've been thinking about yeah. this a lot because realistically, like I individually like. I'm not going to save tens of thousands of lives in Palestine. Mm. Even if I like went and put my, like through my, chained my body to a border fence in Israel, it wouldn't matter. I just get arrested. Yeah. But also like, can you name a single member of the French resistance to the Nazis? Mm. Who mm. else besides Harriet Tubman worked on the underground railroad? And like yeah. Harriet Tubman, a historic figure for the right reasons, didn't end slavery. Mm. Right. She just said, this is unacceptable. I'm going to free as many people as I can. I think it's important for us to hold on to that perspective as we're deciding what to do. Like, we're not going to stop everyone from dying in this war, right? But we can potentially reduce the toll of that through collective pressure, and we can change the tone of American politics so that our support for any government that might do this kind of 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 brutalization to people um is not as deeply supported by our by our elected leaders. Yep. I love that. I feel like an unrigorous, like a self-sabotaging question is like going back to that that kind of thought of like, well, there's nothing that I do that will matter. You know, mm-hmm. like anything I do is like not gonna save all the people. Well, exactly. That's true because no one person can do anything that will save everyone that will completely put a stop, but we can all do something individually to add to that collective pressure. Right. To move towards justice, as you just said. Yeah. And we should, I don't think we should ever act as though that doesn't matter. Yeah. There, there are times when taking direct action to interrupt a thing is possible and, and is probably a better use of our energy or at least another use of our energy. Right. Like there are going to be lots of folks showing up in D.C. This is we're recording this on a Tuesday. There will be folks showing up Mm. in D.C. tomorrow for a mass demonstration. That matters. If you can go, you should go. Uh, Hopefully you did, because you'll probably hear this (laughs) afterwards. (laughs) Right. And there's like the other things matter, too. Like talking to your neighbors matters, too. Moving money matters, even if nobody knows you did it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a piece about solidarity, too, that I was thinking about when we were putting this together in terms of what we can do. And I think one thing we can do as white people is to get clear on how, like how we are in solidarity with folks of color and more specifically, like how are our own struggles tied to the struggles of people of color? So we're not just coming at this from like a benefactor perspective, right? right? Like I'm doing something nice for you because whatever I can do that, but really tapping into the part of ourselves that understands that if people of color are struggling or suffering, I I am struggling and suffering or I have an issue that is interwoven into that. And that can take some time. Like it may not be immediately obvious to you how, you know, the struggle in Palestine is 
connected to a struggle in your life or like, or what, how, like what the connection is there. But I think it's mm-hmm. worth getting clear on. I think it's worth looking yeah, at. I agree. And I don't actually don't know if we, if we share this analysis, Allison, we might, but like, if we look at the relationship between racial uh, racism and extractive capitalism mm. and militarism, right? Like we are putting ourselves as a species on a collision course with extinction, Yep. right? And racism is a tool that has been used to uphold and protect that system because as long as we're fighting each other, we're not rising up against the powers that be, right? Yes. And th- I think avoiding extinction is a pretty damn big stake that we all have in this together, right? Yeah, yeah. I agree. And like, just even kind of zooming back to what you were just saying previously about, you know, what our government is choosing to do, the stand it's choosing to take um, around like kind of seemingly unequivocal support of the government of Israel, like the shoe could very well be on the other foot at at some Mm -hmm. point. They're, you know, I, I don't want there to be a global precedent where a government could say about any country or about the United States, mm-hmm. although obviously it's less likely to happen given the, mm-hmm. we are the empire we are, but yeah. that they will unequivocally support us. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, yeah, that's a precedent that I, I do not want to see set. <laughs> yeah. So where can we go to learn more? So we, you and I are not the only... <laughs> folks who have ever thought about this question and this topic or what is our lane as white people like where can our listeners go to learn more yeah so we've plugged them before we'll plug them again showing up for racial justice chapter based uh probably have a chapter where you live um often a good place to start in finding people who are taking action today highly mm-hmm. recommend you check it out um ask your other white friends if you know people who are active Ask them about what they're doing and how they understand their own. Um, mm-hmm. And you can sign up for newsletters, like Allison said earlier, from organizations that are doing work, follow on social media. There's nothing wrong with just answering calls to action, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever they are. Yep. Yeah. As always, we want to close out by, or start our close out by encouraging folks to move money um, to organizations that are most impacted by racism locally and globally. And in lieu of what is happening in Palestine, we want to uplift the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, which is an organization that envisions a world where all children in the Middle East have access to quality medical care, regardless of nationality, religious, or political affiliation. Uh, They provide specialized health services uh, for children. They're independent. They're um, a solid organization from from what we have learned uh, to support. And we'll throw a link to them in our episode like notes yeah and something that we forgot to share at the beginning because we were focused on bigger picture things in the scheme of the world um is a new offering that we do have now which is that allison and i are now offering support to predominantly white organizing groups um which could include for example folks in predominantly white towns church committees school committees um, other forms of formations, um, or white affinity groups in uh, nonprofit or philanthropic organizations. Um, and a lot of folks come together to try to do this work, recognizing they're in predominantly white space, and they get lost, right? They're yeah. not sure what to do. There's not a lot of clarity about the purpose. And so it's hard for folks to develop and implement a strategy. And um, so we're, we offer to help folks get clearer about that and develop a culture and practice that revolves around action, reflection, and rigor. Mm. 
Yeah. And we've, um, we had a chance recently to work with, um, a group in a faith community setting too. And like, just had such, I mean, I won't speak for you, Tamir, but I had such a wonderful time doing that work with you and doing mm-hmm. that work with the folks in that group. And I know that they came away a lot clearer about kind of what is, what is their plan? What is their call to action? How do they yeah. make other people? Um, and we'd love to be able to provide that to to you and your group, if you are part of a group that could use some of that. Yeah. And I know some of them listened to the pod. It was a wonderful experience. I just saw a couple of them last night at, a, at an action. So, and there'll be some of them, I think are coming with me to an action tomorrow. So um, yeah. Love it. You know to what you said. Um, yeah. If you want to learn more about that, um, check out our LinkedIn page. Uh, we'll throw a link to our episode notes. Check out a link in our Instagram bio. Email us in it together. Oh gosh. In it together pod or podcast? In it together podcast at gmail.com. Okay. We always mess that up. Um, yeah. <laughs> thank you all for listening. Thank you for being with us on this journey and this, this second season with us. We look forward to sharing more with you. Take care, y'all.